and welcome to Creating a Color, sharing the creative endeavors of people of color. I'm your host, KB, and today I'm joined with Sadako Leong Suzuki, a storyboarder visionist whose past projects include Spirit Riding Free and Shovel Knight's Spectre of Torment. How are you today, Sadako? I'm doing good, KB. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for asking. So, Sadako or Dako, whichever you prefer. Both are fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Sadako oh. or Dako. What is, a, <laughs> what is a storyboarder visionist? Uh, a storyboard revisionist, I guess, it t- to me, <laughs> is sort of like the junior preposition to becoming a storyboard artist. And so what we kind of do is we receive the boards from a storyboard artist and a director who's looked over their boards. And judging off of the, bo- the director's notes, our job can be anything from like just cleaning things up a little bit because... Like, I work in TV, so our schedules are much faster. So sometimes boarders don't have, like, the time to make everything look as neat or, like, as on model as they can be. Most of their their focus is, like, on composition and, and, and stuff, obviously. So, like, what I might do is, like, make things, help make things a little bit more, more model, add a few more acting frames here and there, and just sort of, like, clarify the scene. Um, also do things like punch-up acting, or on a rare occasion, also as, like a, as a bit of like a challenge for me, um, if I'm comfortable with the director, even doing a little bit of reboarding. Okay, so a storyboard revisionist is like a junior storyboard artist, which I yes. know in feature they don't have revisionists; they have storyboard junior art or story junior storyboard artists right. or something like that. With that in mind, do you see your goal after? And normally I would ask this later on, but do you see your goal of um, potentially becoming a storyboard artist mm-hmm. or do you feel that people can create a career out of being a revisionist? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Personally, I do want to go into becoming a board artist, but I also know people who, whether, I don't know if they, I, I've never met anyone with the goal to become just a revisionist and stop there. However, I have met people who have gone onto boarding or even directing and then later in life because it's just works out better for like their sort of lifestyle or like the 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 like pacing or energy of like however their life is going that revisionary like matches that more because boarding and directing I think are much more intense than doing revisions and so for people that need a little like if things are hurt, happening in their personal life that it would be make it a little easier um they might switch back to being a revisionist so i don't i again i don't know many people who like aim for being a revisionist i don't see why not i guess but it might be a thing about like if it matches sort of your life pace or not that was a very long ramble as to how i felt about that (laughs) no thank you very much um how did you get started in the animation industry uh I guess in the industry, I was, I mean, like, classic art people things. I've been drawing for a long time. (laughs) Um, But in terms of actually getting in the industry, so I went to college for animation at Loyola Marymount University near LAX, where the planes live. Um, And through that, I met one of my future co-workers, Ellen Szynski. The year I graduated... In 2018, I was doing the post-grad work 
void crawl of being like, hey, does anyone know any work for me? And uh, she happened, we happened to work together in an animation club. And so she saw that I was looking out for work and she was like, oh, do you want to just do in more intense versions of what you were doing, AKA being a secretary? And I was like, sure. What does that mean? She was like, notes, you're going to become a PA. And so from there, uh, I went to start as a PA on Spirit Writing Free. And just out of curiosity, what did you do on Shovel Knights? Like, that's a oh. video game. Oh, yes. Uh, so I guess that's technically part of the journey as well, isn't it? Um, but when I was a sophomore, so what was that? Like 2015, I got an internship with Yacht Club games who are the developers of Shovel Knight um, and I became an art intern and so what that kind of entailed was uh, at the time they were working on Spectre of Torment so that was Spectre Knight's sort of like own little game uh, and so they paired me up with the lead artist on the game uh, Nick Wozniak who has done like majority of like the art direction and, and, and art on the Shovel Knight sort of series of games. But so he sort of mentored me and they were like, hey, you know, watch and talk to him and how what he's doing. So that's a lot of making assets, working on backgrounds, doing animation, right? For the sort of like uh, pixel art game, right? And so I was tasked specifically with actually in the game, mild spoiler, not really big spoiler. <laughs> uh, Spectre Knight's like a dead dude. He he like oh really, man yeah I know a Spectre wow um, <laughs> he's cool but like in the game you have like flashbacks to his past when he was like alive and so my job after all these studying with Nick was to then take his already made animation assets for uh, when he's like in his Spectre Knight sort of like skin or you know appearance and then reskin him as i think his living name was donovan the name changed from what it was in development so that's why i always forget a little bit but so i reskinned him into what his living version was and so i did all those animations all of his poses i just redid those as well as some like background art and some other things um, so it was pretty cool in terms of like i was there for like all their dailies conversations walk around this, the, they're like small team, which they had like only like 12 people. It was pretty small, but um, just kind of also learning about how they made Shovel Knight, which I really liked as a game, which is why I reached out to them. Uh, and at the time I had kind of been on like a short binge of being like, Ooh, games are really cool narratively. That would be really neat. I like storyboarding, but also I love the way that games are doing narrative. I want to look into that. So that's why uh, I think in the end, uh, I, I realized that I much more prefer working maybe in like a TV realm, but it personally was also really cool to just see that process and even get to learn that. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you think you would ever consider going back into games? I think I I could. I think the it, it would really depend on sort of like the studio vibe and the project, which maybe sounds picky <laughs> but at the same time I think one thing I definitely learned and again nothing against any any anyone in the games industry or anything I think personally it was just that 
I was not as well versed in video games as I think I could have been. Like when you're when you're working in any sort of like creative field, like collaborating with people, it's helpful to sort of like no projects or no previous titles in games to sort of like speak that language, right? Uh, and I think I'm a little bit more well versed in terms of like movies and TV versus games. And so I think that that came up for me a little bit. And so like sort of clicking didn't really happen until really late, <laughs> really late in the game or like, you know, like really late into my internship. So um, I think long-term I would really need to be able to sort of vibe with the people and the project, especially and and, I don't even know how I would contribute now that I think about it. <laughs> I guess, you know, like cinematic cutscenes is probably the best place where I would fit in that. But th there are certain exceptions like Double Fine Studios that, do that does like Psychonauts that I know would be absolutely the only exception that I would be like, oh, hello. Yes, I, I will literally do anything for you. But, um... <laughs> yeah, I I'm stuff. right there with you. Yes. I'm right there with you. And oh, to plug a previous episode, we did interview a cinematic animator. <gasps> Wait, I think I listened to that one. Was it? It was Daniel. Yes. What does your daily routine look like? Uh, sorry, I have the song where it's like, wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. That is not, that is not how my day. Oh, you <laughs> feel like Kesha. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your daily routine is that music video. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> No. Uh, I Well, I mean, I do wake up similar to the song, uh, but unlike feeling like P. Diddy, I usually just crawl out of bed, especially now that it's work from home. I crawl to my Cintiq uh, and then I, you know, do all the login stuff. Not interesting. Uh, and then I usually, if I don't already have like an assignment from like the previous day or the previous week, uh, I'll check in with like my prod team and directors. So on our team, um, we have a prod coordinator who also uh, helps coordinate all the, the board team to make sure we all have work. So I usually check in with her uh, and say like, hey, uh, I'm free. Let me know if any of the directors need help on anything. So so because I'm I'm kind of a, a floater revisionist. Um, there mo most teams we'll have like one or a few revisionists per different board teams and then might have like a floater. So someone who just kind of does revisions wherever they're needed. So that's kind of me. Um, and so I'll check in and be like, Hey, if anyone needs additional help uh, from, from their team, let me know. And so I kind of just wait until I'm given work. And then usually when she's like, Hey, one of the, the directors need a hand, I'll, hit up that director uh, via like Gchat or something and just wait for them to hand me something out. And so I think an interesting thing for working remote, like we have been, which has been my whole experience of being a revisionist so far, because I didn't start until semi-recently, um, a year. Is that recent anymore? I don't know. But directors will have different styles of handing out these days. Like, I think, I feel like back when you were working in the office you might have you might like go into their office and have a little meeting or they they'll come talk to you but like the way that we do things kind of now directors might just like shoot you an email with like the file and like a whole list of notes or they'll just chat it to you or they'll just like hey can we jump in a call and then i'll like talk about the sequence with you as we go over it via basically kind of like a zoom call so 
any one of those sorts of handouts happen, I receive the file that I'm supposed to work on in whatever notes. Uh, I also might take my own notes if we have a handout. Um, like if like an overall note is like, hey, watch out this character who seems to be constantly off model or like the size comp, the size comparison is wrong on this character. Please fix that. Just keep an eye on that. So take all those notes, take, take the file. And uh, judging based off of the time I'm given, uh, I mean, I will get the work done, but you know, I'll, I'll just kind of like, I personally like to first watch through the sequence, like maybe one or two times and sort of like make a list for myself in terms of like, I, I tend to like to give myself the hardest stuff first and then work from hardest to easiest. I know some people like to just work chronologically through the sequence, but I tend to do it that way. And then, so I'll just make myself a little to-do list and I'll just chug forward until I'm done. So like I mentioned earlier, it can be anything from just kind of like cleaning up art or adding acting or like reframing things. Uh, and then after that, I'm like, hey, I'm done. And then I ship it off or I send it back to my director who, depending on how I did, they'll look back at it. They may or may not send it back to me for notes. Then the process sort of repeats. So you were an intern and then a PA and then a storyboard revisionist. How was it to switch your gear between all these different roles? You were a artistic or artist intern mm -hmm. and then PA, which is very logical note taking, yeah. like you said. And then you're switching over here to storyboard revisionist. How was it to switch your brain between these roles? And how did each previous role prepare you for the next one? Hmm. Well, I, I would say the easiest switch was from intern to PA because my internship was like in 2015 and then I didn't get my PA start until like 2018. So there was just, it was mostly like, cause there was a time gap that I was able to make that sort of transition. And I think part of it is in terms of becoming a PA, uh, like I kind of mentioned a little bit, I had been working with my school's animation club at the time for about like all four years that I was in college. And so that required taking a lot of notes. And learning how to do that and and ask and clarifying things with my team. So I think doing those club activities, <laughs> I feel like I sound like one of those people that's like, you should get your kids to do extracurriculars because they'll learn all these things. And I'm like, Haha, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. But I think that actually super helped me kind of put myself into like an organizational mindset of like, again, so like organizing, taking notes and uh, you know, collaborating with a creative team, which I think all became very important for when I became a PA. So like all those sort of like um, organizational stuff, right? And with like a creative twist. And so I guess from there, I went PA to coordinator. And then around this time last year was when I made the switch to revisionist. And I think what did help me from going to from production to revisionary is that very thankfully while during the whole what was it almost all it was like almost three years of working production i had tried to at least do some creative work during all that process which i think helped me transition to then from production to revisionary and that included uh very thankfully the show that I'm on now was also the show that I was last on in production as a coordinator. So I had that additional time of, I already knew the show. 
I already knew the characters. I was one of the first production people on our team on the show, like from the very beginning. So I was already very familiar with our scripts and our characters and our designs and sort of the pacing and, and look of our show, which I, I understand not everybody gets that. That's very like, you're, you're often just dropped into the middle of stuff. Um, but so again, I think what helped me make that transition was taking the time to study our characters, um, familiarize with our, our sort of style and even things that if you can't do that, just uh, taking the time to even just talk broad story and art stuff with my team. So like one of the biggest things that I saw from one of our directors say is like something that's really important for revisionists specifically is to learn your shorthands, like make a really good shorthand for yourself because like it makes it so much easier. And like, I will say it's so much like little shout out to <laughs> character designers and viz dev team, because if, if like, making good shorthands for storyboards can be so much easier so much faster and better if you have a good character design like like that's just a weird segue it's just like then as like a board artist or a revisionist right where our job is not to do all the little details right it's so much easier to make your characters recognizable if their desi designs are already good so i think i took the time to study like our show characters, but I'm sure you could also just do this with different shows in your own time and just look at their final design and then just try to practice a shorthand on my own, right? Like if they're simple shapes, just try to get those and then add additional, like, I think people will call them like perspective lines. So like common ones are like at the wrist or like at the waist. So like my hairband works really well. I realize there's no camera on this podcast, <laughs> so you can't see, but like if, if you're listening and you're an artist, you know, you know, like, your 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 wrist your body like moves in perspective and so like having like places in your clothing or just having those indications so like learning pl good places to make those sort of shorthands uh, I think was a big part of preparing for that and also yeah I guess wow I'm rambling a lot <laughs> you're fine this is just how it's gonna be but I think also a huge part of what helped being in production and going to art was that I learned a lot about the pipeline working in production, which I do think actually really helps me as a revisionist because I can think ahead in terms of what I'm doing and what that means for the people following afterwards. So like, us, like I feel like this is can be applicable on every show, but most of my experiences like on 3D CG shows is that like assets is a huge question, right? So like I cannot willy nilly just draw a random thing if I don't know that we have the ability to make that asset or that we don't have that. So like, I know that when I watched previous board artists, when I was in production, be very diligent about that. I know as a production person, I really appreciated that because I was like, now I don't have to rush to our designers and be like, oh God, the board team like added this weird thing and we got to ship in like a week. What is this? We can't do that. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> if I see something and I know that's not how that asset works or we don't I know unless I know we have that I'm gonna check in with our prod team because I don't yeah so like like little examples of that like we're like knowing how things in your production work so that you can ask those clarifying questions because if you know that ahead of time that's less notes later and less notes is good mm -hmm. so I think knowing all those organizational things of working production helps me currently prepare for like oh this is what they're gonna need or oh this is what they kind of look out for I am gonna make sure that it is reflected in my work 
also because I'm very <laughs> I'm very familiar with how all of our files and stuff are organized in our team because I helped build that. Mm-hmm. I I can snoop around a little bit in our production mm. files because like I in my free time I will read all our scripts and I will and I will like watch our current animatics and everything because I'm like oh how's it looking and how's it how's it you know being executed right all the way to like sometimes I'll be like can I find you know our recent like v1 of of animation I just want to see what it looks like even if it looks like a little bit poo poo without its all lighting and everything. So mm-hmm. I think it's just knowing all those organizational things helps inform me and, you know, so I can have those already without asking additional questions in my work. <laughs> Very long-winded answer, but yes. No, that makes sense because I feel like, not to like try to call anyone out or yeah. anything, but a <laughs> lot of times artists only really know the pipeline to their immediate yeah piece of it so they know who they're getting it from and then where it goes from after that or like they just give it to someone to take it away yeah like i've talked to people who are like oh i don't know what happened like i'm done with (laughs) it right 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 right, it's gone and then like another thing appears on my computer and then i do that so you know i think it's good like you were saying to have this overall yes large picture of the whole scope of things and I mean, that's just going to prepare you for if you were to, like, move up into a director or showrunner or EP or whatever position. Yeah. Shoot for the star, Sadako. Uh, I am just trying to even grasp with the idea of becoming a board artist first. Like, I'm like, I just want to feel like I which is maybe a downfall because, like, you know, so many people are like, especially women are, are, are like, oh, if I'm not like 75% ready, or if I'm not 90% ready for this job, I don't, I'm not qualified. And I'm like, I don't, I, and it, there's so many people that could still do the job without 100% qualifications. And while I don't want to be one of those people that's just like, I could never get it because I'm not qualified. I absolutely know I am that person. Well, I feel like it's not even just your own drawbacks but yeah. also it's about timing and luck yes oh absolutely you know and the people yeah. you know like oh for sure how you got your pa job you knew someone yes. from your school that yeah. brought you on to spirit oh absolutely and then thankfully you're in the right time to be yes. able to become revisionist also from yeah. your other show oh no sure. and i mean i haven't seen your revisionist work but i'm sure you're ready <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the confidence yeah, no problem. I I want to become a better board artist. I feel like I still have lots to learn, but uh, I, you know, one one step at a time. Did you mention it to your director? I mean, like, I think I think most people have, like figure, oh, if you're doing, so, so you didn't. I, I didn't, but I mean, like, okay. I mentioned it to our supervising producer, who who is like so him and. Our mutual coworker friend Daisy, right, who we both worked on with, with on on Spirit, both of those two are were very aware when I was in production. Oh, she's interested in boarding, and so they they know I want to become a board artist. And I think most people are like, oh, that means also a director. I'm like, that's that's far in the future, and I'm not sure. But um, so those two are aware, and those two are the people that gave me this job because they're like, hey, I think you could do this. We'll train you, and we'll we'll get you there which was very nice. Very, very nice. Did you say to have... something to your director still? I mean, 
I've, I've talked to some of my directors, yeah, and been like, hey, I think I will say an interesting thing about working remote and having my whole boarding career happen remotely so far is it's harder to have those conversations. I think right. anyone who's working from home, like, I think, and, and interestingly enough, this is kind of something I actually miss about working production is that, like, people in production have a reason to talk to everybody or even talk to people, like, in their direct, like, teams more versus, like, artists especially if you're not in an art directing position of any kind you don't always have a need to reach out to your team and without having that physicalness of being around and being like hey let's grab lunch or get, grab a coffee or just like peering over and seeing what your peers are doing it's hard to have those sort of like hey what are your future goal conversations it just doesn't come as naturally and I think that's personally something I'm also sort of trying to wrestle with is like I would really love to have those conversations and learn those extra steps but like I know at DreamWorks something that was really great and I feel like this happens at a lot of studios right is that there is like a culture of like hey let's just go grab something to eat and we'll just talk about what all of our goals are yeah and that to me those were always some of the best conversations and I miss that a lot <laughs> it, it feels a lot more strained I think having to always be like hey I need to schedule a zoom call at this specific time for everything. What are some specific roadblocks you try to watch out for? Ah, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> that that sounds bad. Uh, but I think when I say that, I think a lot of like a lot of the common roadblocks. I think a lot of artists sort of go through. So, impost, imposta, imposta syndrome, imposter syndrome. I'm trying to be funny. I'm not. Uh, imposter syndrome. Um, like things like motivation. And, uh, oh, I thought of another one earlier and I can't remember, but I think mostly those sort of things like imposter syndrome in sense that I think, I think a lot of artists feel that way. I have yet to really meet one that, that doesn't have some sort of imposter syndrome or like at least maybe a healthy version of, oh, I need to get better. Right. Uh, I think there's a healthy amount of that. And then an unhealthy amount of that becomes imposter syndrome where again I'm saying I'm throwing this around a lot but shortly explain it's like that feeling of like if you're put in a position but you feel insecure about not feeling qualified or that looks like I have no reason to be here I've definitely felt that before or that it's like oh I could this could have gone to someone much more experienced like like I know currently I'm working I'm working with like some amazing people right now that I know I'm like you guys have an amazing network and you guys have been, and you know, most of my directors have been like working for as long as I've been alive. And I'm like, you guys know so many cool people. You literally could have gone with anyone else, right? So, so that sort of feeling and kind of connected is like motivation. So not to get like too deep into it, but like depression and stuff affects motivation or even like working a job. And so, you know, if you're trying to get better, the motivation to work outside of work after your eight hour job, whether that's you're working like at Starbucks and just trying to, you know, do that grind or you're working a professional job like at a studio already and even just trying to improve there. It's it's hard to feel motivated to do those projects outside of work. And again, if you have anything like depression or anxiety on top of that, it makes it very difficult. So I think those are sort of the things that I run into a lot where I know personally, especially since I'm coming up like on my one year of, of doing this, I'm realizing, oh, 
I should probably definitely, I, I wanted to give myself a year to just sort of like settle and absorb the job. But now I'm like, I should really start taking more time outside of work to creatively better myself. Like you're going to learn a lot on the job. But also I think there is still a lot that you need to personally practice in your own time, but it's hard to do that. And so I know that's that's where I'm at, where I'm like, I should really do something. But Animal Crossing New Horizons on the Nintendo Switch just came out with the DLC. And so it's just really hard to really want. Yeah, like, what do you pick? Like, <laughs> yeah, improving like, yourself creatively? Or improving or, my island. <laughs> or improving your island. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's also, tough. Yeah, it's tough. Again, I don't want to get too, like, therapy-y and into it. But I think a lot of artists, right, have, like, mental roadblocks in terms of, like, depression or burnout burnout that was the other one i wanted to mention burnout is hard someone might be like you've only been doing this for a short amount of time how can you be burnt out already one it's never too early to be burnt out in my opinion two um work from home i do think makes it harder and three i've just had personal experiences in school like so again this was even before industry right where if you have an, especially if you're at a young age, I feel like if you're burnt out at a young age, someone could argue that it's better because at least you're getting burnt out now and you can heal later. Personally, I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm never the same person again. But if you've ever been a college student that's been burnt out by something and it really makes you question if this is the road for you, it's really hard to feel like engaging in it again and also feeling like, but I'm so early in my career. Like, if I don't feel this now, can I ever do anything ever again? So I, I don't. I, I guess like, and you can kind of have that at any point of your life. But I just want to like shout out to the young folks out there that already have experienced burnout in some way. It, it happens and it sucks. <laughs> I don't talk about it a lot, but like being on spirit or being on a group, good crew, really helps with burnout. Like I was super burnt out after college, and so being around really good and supportive people. And creative people was really great and to me that was like I think what helped me get out of that but if you've had a rough experience trying on your journey and you're not even in it and then you feel that guilt I know I literally just said that was a solution for me I don't think that's necessarily the solution but I'm just calling it out and being like it's hard you're I there's someone out there that sees you and it's me I guess <laughs> yeah no it is really hard so thank you for mentioning it what support and resources do you use or recommend for someone trying to break in? Mm. Well, like one just like easy website that I think a lot of board people I've talked to tend to like drop this one is I think it's like flubidooby.com. I think a lot of people that do like if, if you've been looking into this for a while, you've probably heard of it. But if you haven't, you should check it out. It's just I think it's like a blog site or something where someone's just collected like a bunch of sort of board ref so that's like in general like just basically like basic things like talking about like the 180 rule and what that means to like having specific examples from specific shows like they have like a lot of reference from like spongebob and i think i've seen i think i've seen some for like even craig of the creek on there so like that whole range of of era right and more like it look i think i was looking they were they've still been trying to update even more right so it's just a, like a good collection of different information but I know personally a lot of my growth personally has been through classes so I say classes I've only really taken one class actually and it was it was really intense but I learned a lot from it so I think 
for a lot of people, like, especially if anyone listening is an artist that craves a lot more structure or it's, it's helpful, definitely look into classes. I've known a lot of people who've done really well through classes. Like I, I think like our, our mutual friend, Mike, who's also a board artist now also is like a huge like proponent for taking like online courses. So I think that's great. So that's like, I know like there's the rad how to class that is doing stuff right now. And I know a bunch of others, like, is it like, is it CDA? Yes. Concept yeah, Design CDA. Academy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. And, and I think specific board artists even will do their own classes. Like I know Steve on who used to do Voltron, right? And I think recently was at Nick. He holds a lot of classes. So like chances are, if you really respect a director, uh, they might hold their own classes, right? So look into that. Then you could literally learn from the people you, you love the most. Otherwise, I think YouTube's a great platform. I know I'm that person that be watching every frame of painting, even though he stopped years ago. I, I just watch a lot of cinematography videos even from live action a lot. Like I'm a huge horror person. And so I've, I've been really going on the, the Mike Flanagan binge, but so like, just like looking up videos on YouTube from like your favorite directors and being like, Hey, they have like, like a a shot breakdown. Right. I think those are really fun. And again, they, they, even if they're live action, right. We should be looking at things, not just animation. Right. And sort of gathering, oh, that's how they approached it. Or, oh, when we talk about things like lenses, it feels a lot different because like lenses kind of do and don't exist in animation because they don't do and don't work the same. The way that you sell a shot can change with lenses. I'm saying this because I'm really just learning it. <laughs> so I'm I'm it's like the the learning through teaching, right? I guess it, mm-hmm. so like watching videos that again might be for live action folks but it can translate into animation and just there's so much information out there right now and just trying to take that time to sometimes look into that more uh in terms of like self-study oh also follow your favorite artists some of them will also you know whether they hold classes or not some of them like i know on twitter or like instagram will be like hey these are things i do you should practice that i'm like okay maybe i will if I am not playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Top priority, Animal Crossing. Yeah. So, Sadak. Yes. What was your upbringing like? I grew up as a child. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know. I had a pretty fortunate childhood, I think. Um, I really can't complain. I think, you know, a lot of people are like, you're Asian or your parents like, no, be a lawyer. And I was like, no. Very, very thankfully, my both my parents have always been pretty supportive. So like from a young age, my mom's always been like one of those women that are like, no, my girls are going to take over the world and they're going to do the best things. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so and because both of my parents do like kind of like activism work or like um, have and do a lot of like community work. We were raised to try to be very confident in what we do and also help our communities. And I think in doing so, both of them also know a lot of artists. Like my dad is also an architect. So there's some there's some art there, I guess. As me and my sister grew up, they were always very like, you should chase your dreams and also hopefully, you know, do good for other people. So when we started realizing our interests in drawing, and stuff like that because my I, I do animation and stuff or, or boarding my sister kind of does like design and stuff they're like yeah you guys should pursue those things so when I went to high school I actually went to an art magnet high school in San Francisco at first they were like hey do you want to apply to like the smart schools and I was like I can 
but I really suck at math, but we can try this. Still suck at math. But they were like, well, she's she's trying her best and her best seems to be art. So we'll let her do that. I feel like this was the most messy way to explain my childhood. (laughs) No, you're fine. (laughs) But I think from there, like every point, very thankfully, my parents have been like, oh, she's into drawing. Oh, she's into like this anime thing. I guess that's cool. It's making her learn Japanese with her grandparents. That's neat. Oh, she does this weird thing called cosplay. Oh, that's like fun. They're like weird costumes. Oh, that's cool, I guess. And now she's doing art. And yeah, so I'm very thankful that my parents have been very supportive. And I think because of that, I've been able to very freely sort of pursue the things I've been interested in. Oh, that's very nice. (laughs) I I have a very uneventful artist backstory. That's fine, you know, I, it doesn't always need to be tragic story. Yeah. Like, like, on my own personal health, I'm glad about it, but also, this, not but also, but like, it's just like, uh-huh. you don't, you don't have to suffer to be an artist, hopefully. I hate that trope. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Or even the starving artist yeah. trope, like. Like, I, again, like, I think, you know, experiences in your life that color your art are really important, but at the same time, I don't think that artists should work to their detriment because you know how many artists that would exist if they weren't you know self-doubting and hating themselves we'd we'd have so many cool people Mm -hmm. that if they were able to feel comfortable could share their awesome ideas with us not you know we don't need to be cutting off our ears to make great art that's true everyone keep your ears if you can yes yes do do not van gogh that route I don't. I haven't changed that much. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Outside of work, what kind of hobby, side hustles, or interests do you engage? So big surprise! I'm really into Animal Crossing. <laughs> oh, I yeah. haven't noticed. <laughs> but when I'm not doing Animal Crossing, or so to speak, I recently this has been like a recent sort of thing. I've been actually trying to be more involved with the Animation Guild. So that's the Animation Union. So there's that. And that's been good. So helping out, try to reach out to our membership, because I think it's important to involve and educate our community. So I don't know, little plug, I guess. If anyone's been paying attention to recent news, the IA, which is the IATSE, who like the larger union that covers most of Hollywood, their recent deals expired. And so there was a huge sort of thing in terms of like trying to negotiate their, their basic agreement, which is again, basically the the contract that goes over like their basic rights, their basic worker rights. There's a lot of controversy over that. And a strike almost happened. But so in light of that, right, uh, the animation guild and the animation industry, right, we also have our own contract, which is very similar and builds off of that contract. So I think because there's, because I saw a lot of things happening there, it got me more engaged in trying to be more active in my community, right? And it's been, I think, to sort of my earlier point about like, it's been hard being able to talk to artists being remote. This has been a very interesting way of getting to know other people in my field and even getting to see people that I haven't seen in a very long time. So that's been cool. But yeah, so I've been trying to do that. Otherwise, again, uh, the classic other nerd thing. So like watching good and trash TV. playing video games again most it's mostly animal crossing let's be real still trying to play D despite you know all the the remote stuff and when i can and if it's safe hanging out with people mostly my roommates so i guess 
they're already in my bubble anyway. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I guess that's kind of the side stuff I do. Yeah. Very nice. I like it. Thank you. Okay. Now is the time for rapid questions where I'll ask you a series of any kind of type of question, really. Uh huh. And you gotta go fast. You gotta go fast. (laughs) Please don't ask me Sonic questions. I don't actually know. Can I ask you rapid Sonic questions? No, if you you do, they're not gonna mean anything because I I do not know. I've watched the Sonic movie. That is it. And anything you've told me. Choose one famous person from history you want on your team during a zombie apocalypse. Why is it that whenever I'm asked a question, I forget all people in existence, including myself? Uh, how about how about this? How about yes. I change it? Okay. <laughs> Choose a fictional character from a video game to be on your zombie apocalypse. Oh, but uh, but it can't be a character from a, vi- a zombie video game. So oh, that's a good. Resident that's Evil. good. Oh no! Yeah, no, no, Left for Dead, no Back for Blood. I know you mentioned Resident Evil, but I was like, wait, the person I want to meet the most is absolutely not someone you want to meet. I have a weird obsession about the baby from from Village. I think it's awful. Yeah. Quick Resident Evil Village spoilers: Is it like the flesh one that like chases you? Yes, the I love the baby. It's, like, it's just it's like yummy, and I'm like, oh, it's awful. I, it's awful. I'm that person that I'd be like watching something. I'm like, oh, that's a horrifying thing. Oh, but that's super fascinating. Like, how'd you do that? Tell me more. So I just, I love, that is like my favorite part of the game. That was the most horrific part of the game. Oh, I legit listened to just the, like the ambiance music from just that chase sequence. What's wrong with fun. I'm sorry. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> That is not the answer to your question at all, though. Yeah, it, that's the zombie. Let's say that's oh, the zombie. No. And oh, no, you have that's... to find someone to help you destroy that horrific oh. thing. I mean, like, the... the, the... Oh, no, no, no. This is fast run. You should just think of this. Sorry. Well, now that we were just talking about Sonic, I just keep thinking about Sonic characters. So Go ahead. Use Sonic out, character. No thought. I was like, Knuckles. And this Knuckles. is not the real answer because, like, again, if I'm supposed to just answer this no thought, just first answer because we were talking about that, I was like, Knuckles, he, like, looks like he could beat up a man, right? No, don't sacrifice my precious boy Knuckles oh, no. into that baby flesh monster, no. <laughs> okay, all right, I, I will, I'll try to give it a, a second thought. Uh, well, but he's not a good guy either, what? What? My, my second thought was... <laughs> Hero Prime from, from Minecraft? Minecraft. I I think I think really because you're like you cannot think about this or this is supposed to be lightning round. And my that's brain, what pops in your head. Is like, Hero Brine. You can think of it. It was Hero Brine for some reason. I'm like, How? well, he is very powerful. If if you had him in your on your team and he was like, yeah, I'll protect. Which is weird because again, he's like a villain, right? Yeah. Like, but it's like one of those things. I was like, well, if you got like a super powerful like evil dude that's like fighting for you though, he like whizzes in and out. He could. Well, I guess he can't really scare zombies, right? Because they have no fear. Yeah, but he could probably, I assume, like if in your bad situation, like pick you up and because he has like the Enderman powers, right? Like if he could just like block, if he could just pick me up, like the Enderman, just like pick up blocks and just like disappear. Like if he could just do that and whiz me to like a safe place, that could be cool. 
Why not just have Enderman pick you up and whiz you off to say? Because I didn't think about Enderman first. It's true. I do. And like, I remember, oh God, this is a throwback. I remember the first time hearing about Enderman was from the Yogcast, if anyone remembers. Mm. <laughs> oh, Yogcast. I love YouTube of 2009. I was terrified. I was a little baby and I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it was but scary that business. kind of funny. That's when Slenderman was like all the rage, you know? Uh, I guess and I'll just lock in my answer as Hero Prime because that was the only one I could think of. Perfect. Other yep. than Knuckles, Echidna. Other than Knuckles. All right. Well, that was a long <laughs> I'm very sorry. Rambling's my specialty. Cake or pie? Pie. I like cake, but I like savory food. So it's hard to have a savory cake. Also, I feel like I can, I much prefer a kind of shitty pie to a shitty cake because I love cr- the, like, I love crust. So, like, good crust makes me so happy. And also, again, I can't really think of, like, if we're thinking about, like, a, a regular cake cake, I can't think of, like, a, a salty cake versus, I'm like, uh-huh. oh, I love, like, pot pie is really great. I love pot pie. So, oh, yeah, that's a savory pie. Yes, yeah, savory pie. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, I know this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Dog or cat? Cat. That being said, I did foster a dog for a short time over quarantine. So it did give points to dogs. And I've never been a dog auntie. It's just I've mostly had experience with cats. So I have my bias. Would you ever consider adopting a dog after your foster time? I I think it would have to be a very specific dog. And I would definitely need to have like, a house or something unless it was like a really old slow dude like just like a like just like a little little guy that's like i'm tired and i'm like so am i we'll just walk (laughs) twice like like two maybe three times a day and then just take naps that's great yeah i have the energy level of a senior dog for sure (laughs) because you also wanted a dog right i know you you're just a big animal person in general (laughs) but like so it's uh, my my roommates also like that where it's like oh god I have to pick animals but yeah the yeah. list has only gotten bigger <laughs> so you know I I decided I'm waiting to get a dog till I have That's a good. house yeah um, and as you know I want a rabbit yes but now I kind of want a bearded dragon ooh yeah I okay yeah and then you you know I want a duck also and oh, a, duck. a goat and a pig eventually yes. I yeah. I feel like if I had, you know, if it was like one of those, it's like in a perfect situation where you always have like the time and energy and space for an animal, I would want like a chinchilla or like a stoat just because they're so oh, funny. So funny. They're so funny. I love chinchillas in their little dust baths. I'm like, oh, you're just so funky. <laughs> and you're soft. <laughs> and I hear they have really like great or like they can, they really have distinct personalities. And I guess... And so long as it's a good chinchilla with a good personality, mm-hmm. that would be cool. But they need, like, their own room. But also, like, stoats or weasels, I think, are kind of the same. Yes? I like ferrets. I'm not a big Pokemon person, but I was like, ferrets are great. Ferrets. Oh, what are... about ferret, then? Oh, wait, you're right. Ferret. I always... <laughs> yes. Ferret, stoats are good. Weasel... Yeah, actually, over weasels. Because weasels eat are more carnivorous, if I'm understanding. Actually, no, all of them are. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. They just all seem like long little cat rodents, and that's a great combination, and I like that. 
and they just flip around and I'm like haha that's funny they're just a little living it feels like an otter just decided to live on land and like to dig I'm like haha that's cute <laughs> uh do you think you could find Bigfoot like personally yeah I think if I made an effort to find Bigfoot I don't think so almost if that makes sense I feel like there's so many people that put so much effort into trying to find Bigfoot and don't or I don't tr or claim they do and I don't trust it I'm, okay also I'm not here saying I necessarily believe in Bigfoot I'm like 50 50 like almost like if you want to exist you can Bigfoot that's up to you but, <laughs> live your life Bigfoot live your life Bigfoot if you do and don't want to be in existence on earth that's that's fine that's cool but I think again I feel like Bigfoot is like one of those cryptids like most cryptids that like it's almost like they have to allow you to perceive them. So mm -hmm. if I put in all that effort to find Bigfoot, I feel like it's like I'm trying too hard and I would never be able to find Bigfoot. So short answer, I guess technically if Bigfoot exists, I potentially could find Bigfoot, though I feel like Southern California is not the place for Bigfoot, but what do I know? But not with effort. <laughs> I feel like maybe you'd be able to find Bigfoot if you put in no effort and you just like went to yeah. a bar and he was just like hanging like out. Just, I mean, to beer. be fair, sometimes he do just sound like a hipster, right? So maybe that's where he'd be, right? Yeah. Do you think you could find Bigfoot? Absolutely not. I don't go outside. That is also a good answer. <laughs> that is also fair. I'm like, yeah, that's true. I mean, he, he could be walking by right now and I never that's know. He Unless he's coming into my house. I'd be like, excuse me, you're trespassing, sir. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. Do you have a warrant? Yeah. Do you have a warrant? Um, do you pay rent? <laughs> I don't think so. Proof. Is there a Bigfoot TikTok? Sorry. <laughs> Imagine if Bigfoot was on TikTok. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> that was just a weird. Anyway, <laughs> ask your question. <laughs> um, do you play any musical instruments? I used to play clarinet, not dropping Squidward memes, but because my family, you know, is a classic, <laughs> you're in like elementary or middle school, you should learn how to play an instrument. We have five, choose from them. Uh, and my family apparently just has a lineage of playing clarinet for school. Oh, okay. So I, like my, my uncle passed down his to my dad and then my both my cousins played the same clarinet and then I received it so <laughs> I was like I guess so there's that uh, otherwise I also I kind of play a kazoo on sometimes for listening people I have a gold kazoo that uh, I did play while walking on my graduation because I'm that person I guess so I don't know what that means but um I, I do that and then I also it's run out of battery and I don't so I don't oh. know if I really play it but the little the automaton I think mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as an instrument but he's just fun it, it's categorized under musical instruments when you shop for it so okay so yes it's, it's I instrument. I have dabbled in automaton have you ever believed in Santa Claus yeah I mean yes at some point I did how, how did um how did that go uh i i don't know pretty classic i think where it's like ah you go from one moment being like ah yes an old fat white man will come down my chimney and give me a gift even though my family's buddhist that's what just everyone tells you <laughs> so come down the chimney <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then I can't, I, I don't, do you, I don't know. I feel like, do you ever have those memories where you're not sure if you made it up or if it was an actual memory, but mm-hmm. it like, but, or you heard about it and it became a memory, but I have a memory of then one year creeping out to my living room and then watching my dad put the gifts under the tree. And I think that's what broke the spell of the belief in Santa Claus. Oh, other than, you know, the cat, the usual, oh, you're late elementary school or middle school and people are like, Santa Claus is canceled because he's fake. He's not around. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I OK, that's unfortunate. Too bad your dad wasn't wearing red pants. Right. <laughs> do, do you believe in Santa Claus? If you do, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I did until I asked that question. Now that I'm not- broken. <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay. And now give me a word that is not a proper noun. Okay. Or an adjective. Okay. Uh-huh. For the letter W. Wendigo? Wendigo. Yeah, like the Native American legend creature, I think. D- does that count as a proper noun? When to go. <laughs> Google that I said when to go. So sure, let's just take it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sadako, for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Do you have any social media you would like to share with us? Uh, Sure. Um, If you want to see my art, uh, I do post on Instagram at Daco underscore of underscore tacos, all lower cat, lower, lowercase. Yes. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter where I do post art, but I'm really mostly memeing and posting about Animal Crossing, but you're welcome to listen to that. Uh, and that's Daco of tacos, no underscores. Um, and, and both. So Daco of tacos spelled D-A-C. No. D A K O O F T A C O S. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I, that that might be confusing, but I guess we'll we'll find out, or I won't. We'll find out. <laughs> and thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Please follow Creating in Color on Instagram and Twitter, and feel free to submit any questions for upcoming guests through our social media or the email creatingincolorcast at gmail if you are interested in following me, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and twitch.tv at Maybe It's KB. Thanks to Name Kazi for creating the ending theme. You can find more of his music on his SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Name That's N-A-M-I-K-A-Z-E. Thanks to everyone sharing Creating in Color with their friends, family, and coworkers. We really appreciate any word of mouth or even to help our push our hashtag on social media, hashtag Creating in Color Cast. If you're interested in supporting us, you can find us on coffee at coffee.com slash creating in color. And this will actually be the last episode of the year. Whoa. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Way to be the season finale, Sadako. <laughs> wow. Wait, you didn't tell me this. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. You're the uh, finale. <laughs> so the next episode will be premiering on February 24th, 2022. And Ooh. as of now, I am trying to have an interior designer 
on the podcast so feel free to submit any interior designer questions but yeah we will be taking a short break thank you everyone for supporting us for season two Yay! so before we wrap up do you have any departing words of wisdom for everybody listening sadako i have two one you should check out the creating color stickers that i believe were are, are still up i believe are still up yes Maybe. yes but they're cool you should so you should do that it's cool they're good uh two just just keep doing your best even if you feel guilty for not working you should you should go back into it just like an animal crossing where you might feel guilty about going back to your island and being like oh no i've made all my villagers sad the reality is they're all happy to see you back so whenever just like an animal crossing because i'm that person your creative life and endeavors will always still be there for you, even if you need a break. And, you know, with a little bit of time, you can get back into it and your art can still love you, I guess. I don't know. That's something I'm trying to learn. <laughs> Aw, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. This has been Creating in Color. Keep striving. Keep trying. Keep creating. Bye. Bye. Bye.